0: Welcome back to Everyday Disciples, the show where we strive to be like Jesus, wherever we are. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the producers and editor of this podcast. Thank you for choosing us to listen to today. On today's episode, we will be discussing grace-based parenting, as well as what to do when we fail. Again, thank you for listening. We hope you are blessed.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Everyday Disciples. Uh, glad that you're listening with us today, and we've got a, quite the group around the table here uh, to talk about grace-based parenting. Uh, joined with Adam, Aiden, uh, Lori, and Stephanie, uh, talking about how do we uh, raise children in such a way that, like, it's okay for them to. Fail. It's okay for them to make mistakes and learn from those things. So, I kind of want to just kind of kick that out to the group here. Um, when we think about like grace-based parenting, what is what comes to mind, or what? How do we define that?
0: Well, I think some of, of some of the opposite kinds of parenting than grace-based parenting, like snowplow parenting, which is kind of like doing everything for your kids. So, for example, like um, like when I was 18, I didn't know how to do my laundry because my mom did my laundry my whole life. Um, so snowplow parenting, and then there's helicopter parenting, which is just kind of like always just lingering and supervising your children and making sure they're safe and doing things correctly. Um, is
1: there any other heavy machinery kind of parenting out there?
2: <laughs> Bulldozer or lawnmower? Uh, is there like crane parenting where you pick up your kids and place them in the spots you think they need to be and then you take them out of that spot. Certainly
1: sounds like that could
2: be a thing. It probably Uh. could be. Uh, When I think of grace-based parenting, I just think of parenting with the permission for your kids to fail. And not to say that you should set them up for failure, but if they do fail or if things don't go exactly the way you want it to go for them, that's not a bad thing necessarily. Right.
1: Like, Maybe what kind of failure are we talking about when we talk about it's okay to work For our kids to fail?
3: Uh, I think it's a variety of ways. I think something as simple as, I think back to when Trevor was young, I think kindergarten even, and he forgot something at home and he had them call me for me to bring it to him. And I told him, okay, this is your one time that I will do this for you. And then after this, you will suffer whatever consequence that there is at school for you to forget this thing. And I remember my mom thought that was the worst thing in the world. She still brings up to this day, like he was only five. And I'm like, yes, but... Five is when I want him to learn that responsibility, not when he's older and it actually might really matter that he forgot whatever it is he forgot. So...
4: I think parents nowadays, they mean well, like they just want their child to have a life with no hurt and no sadness. And so um, they compensate with that by making, trying to, like you said, helicopter hover over everyone just to make sure everything is okay. So uh, the kids and I love watching Stranger Things. And when we were watching that, they were just shocked. They're like, this isn't true. The mom's never watching the kids. They're out biking all day. And Literally, I had great parents, but I felt like I had a lot of freedom. Um, They weren't watching over everything. And I think parents back then, and I'm stereotyping or generalizing, they didn't worry so much that a failure reflected on them as much as parents nowadays. I mean, we see it in two and three-year-old preschool and five-year-old kinder. if they're not writing their letter quite right on their name yet, you know, that's like somehow a reflection on the parent. Or if they're not walking at 15 months, that's somehow a reflection on the parent. And so the parent wants their children to be successful and achieve at all costs uh, instead of just kind of letting their kids be kids and learn through that way, if that makes sense.
0: This is something that I'm learning with my kids who are are now school age. It's like you get the report cards back now, and it's like they're not really grades, like letter grades yet, but it's like doing well, doing okay, needs improvement, and I'm the the product of two educators. And when my parents, God bless their hearts, saw needs improvement or even doing okay, it's like, well, why isn't that doing Mm -hmm. great? Um, And so for me... It's like stepping back and, like, allowing um, my daughter and my son to be, like, okay at something for a little bit, like, and not, like, be driving flashcards when they get home, um, and, like, just creating a culture of, like, you need to achieve for me, um, because you, yeah, like you said, you reflect, um, me or my work as a parent. Um, I think oftentimes, like, we treat our kids like little, um, like little work projects, um, you know, and we feel like, uh, yeah, like that project has to be perfect, but it's it's probably a little bit more organic than that.
1: Well, we certainly live in a culture and, you know, where we are here in Grand Rapids where, uh, you know, status and achievement, that is is valued very highly. And I think, you know, as I see maybe parents projecting that on their children or trying to, like, get that uh, achievement, that status from their kids, like you guys said, if my kid's not... Uh, living up to where they should be that's that's on me as a parent so it seems like parents are almost treating kids like adults uh, maybe before they're ready to be treated that way uh, from from your perspective like when when is the right time to to start treating kids a little bit more like adults expecting more out of them and when is it okay to just let them be kids
2: I should preface everything I say with the fact that I'm not a parent <laughs> I Uh, deal with teenagers and so parents your your problems or my problems are your fault for the most part uh, in the most loving way that's not true I think I also have a (laughs) bit of an influence on your kids that might not be the best at times but I think that there probably isn't a too soon time to be teaching children or people independence and ownership and responsibility now, depending on the age, that's gonna vary. Depending, you're not gonna assign your three-year-old to empty the dishwasher because uh, there's sharp objects and there's heavy things. They probably can't fit. Like they probably can't reach the top shelf of the cabinet. Um, but you can teach them how do you clean up after yourself? Like how do you clean up your toys and how do you straighten things? And when they leave for school in the morning, do you have everything? Are you sure? And when they say yes and you see their folder sitting on the table and you know they don't have everything, um, yeah, how do you kind of give them the responsibility that later in life you're you're setting them up to learn uh, either the easy way or the hard way um, through success or through failure what those critical life skills are? Um, because it might – it's not the end of the world if they, you know, forget something at home when they're 7 or 8, but if they forget something at home when they're 24, or 25 and they need it to go to work and they have to drive all the way back home or you know, it does matter. So you're you're teaching them and you're modeling for them even at a young age, I think.
4: Um, I think there's a big difference though between teaching somebody like adult characteristics like responsibility and kindness and the or expecting treating them like an actual Adult. So, you know, teaching kids to say thank you and be responsible versus, you know, you need to sit quietly for the whole 75 minutes in a church service for a three year old just isn't, that's just not how they're made. That's not child developmentally appropriate either. And I think we put these adult like expectations in education with kindergartners having planners and all these other things. They've just become adult like in so many other ways versus my kindergarten report card, which was blow my nose. I could blow my nose by myself. You know, it was like, woo. Um, And I'm not saying that the educational advancements haven't been great, but there's a cost when we're making kids younger and younger act like and have expectations of them that really is not appropriate for their age. And then I think we see kids sometimes act out and have discipline issues um, because of that, because our expectations just aren't valid.
0: I think, so study after study has indicated that the the principal need in childhood is play, and it's play with other people. Um, and so, it is very important to have a playful spirit in your home. I think what what we teach our children isn't um, act like an adult. It's these are these are the social values. These are these are the tools that you are going to need. So, play with them and experiment with them. See what see what it actually um, is like to. To have a friend group in your neighborhood of people who are different ages than you, because you will work with people who are different ages than you. Um, So, yeah, we teach you. I think you made an important distinction. We're we're not uh, we're teaching children values uh, that are like lifelong values that propel them uh, into the future as
2: they as they play and be joyful children. I think about when I was a teenager. Now, I was fortunate in that I'm the youngest of four. And so my parents had my three older siblings to mess up on before they got to me. And I think that – if my siblings are listening, I'm kidding. I think that I had the benefit when I was – a teenager where my, my parents gave me a lot of responsibility and trust, but it wasn't just completely free and unwarranted. Like when I turned 16, I was allowed to drive and I had, you know, I would borrow my parents' car, but I had to be home at you know ten thirty PM. Even and I say, Oh, well my friends are out later. It's like, yeah, but this is the rule we're giving you. If you're going to take the car, if you're going to be responsible and be a, you know, mature adult, you need to learn how to obey the rules that are set for you. Um, and so I, I think that there is, of course, a lot of benefit to teaching kids, you know, how to, how to be adults, but also understanding that you're not just giving them free reign. Um, you, you don't have; they don't have the independence of an adult. They do have discipline. They need to learn that discipline, and it comes. I think, from the direction of parents now it's one thing to treat your your kid like a a project, kind of like Adam said like that's not what your your kid is not your project, they're your kid, um, but how do you do so in a way that you are intentionally forming them into the adult they're going to be one day?
4: I think Aiden hit a nail though with the birth order because i kind of feel like grace-based parenting should be led by like a parent who's had at least two (laughs) to three children (laughs) because truthfully caleb our youngest could do so much more than Sam because I just wasn't watching him all the time. I mean, Sam was like, be careful, be careful, be careful. And then I wondered why he was scared to go down a slide or didn't want to swing by himself because I I wanted to protect him as my first where I was with Sam and Grace at the park and suddenly Caleb's doing the monkey bars by himself um, because he was allowed to fail and he would fall and he would get back up. And I think there was just, I learned a lot um, with the expectations, I think, of protecting our oldest <laughs> versus allowing our youngest to experience life in a different way. So um, I think Aiden was kind of spot on just with birth order and parenting and things like that too.
1: Well, I kind of want to ask, it might be related a little bit of like, I want to ask the question, What like what would you say to, to parents who maybe are starting to realize maybe I've been a little bit of a snowplow parent, maybe I've been a little bit of a helicopter parent, um what's kind of maybe the first step toward letting my kid deal with some of those negative emotions or deal with just uh, messing up and the consequences of that in life how do you how do you handle that
0: i think the the first part of that is recognizing that your kid um is loved and lovable as they are where they are in that in that moment, and to not project onto them what you wish them to be um, but rather and and always aiming them in that direction um but instead just being very present and and where they are um so so one of my children you know like has has a pretty time like hard time um like processing emotions and Instead of me trying to tell this child like uh, you shouldn't feel these big feelings, it's like I, I have to like just be present in the big feelings and and talk or th- talk my child through those feelings of like so how, how was that for you like when when you were in that you know that big um, emotional space, like what were you thinking and how was that? Um, and and what did you see around you and how did that how did that work out for you and it's just like processing with them um their fa- like when they fail. um like what what led up to that and then uh, what happened and then like how do we um like go from here so i think presence is a big part of it
3: one of the things that always frustrates me is it's always okay for adults to have a lot of emotions and feelings and have a bad day at work or a bad day or be sad and they have those emotions. But when a child does it, all of a sudden that's a big deal or they're in trouble or, um, so I think maybe that's where some of that comes from in a kid is they're not feeling like it's okay. It's okay for mom and dad to be angry. Um, but it's not okay for them to be angry. So just, um, I don't know, and as a parent, I mean, if you've been the snowplow or the helicopter, I mean, I get it because we want the best for our kids. We want them to be safe first and foremost, and we want them to be happy. Um, So I guess just giving yourself permission that you're not a bad person, you're not a bad parent, you're not unloving. Um, I mean, I know when I first started parenting, I would read books that would talk about, you know, the effects that could have on my kid if I don't, like if they cry too long and then this could, you know, hurt them developmentally or whatever. So you read all these different things and all of a sudden you're picking them up every second instead of letting them learn how to cope with, um, you know, whatever they're feeling at that moment and figuring out how to how to um, make themselves feel better. So um, I think it's important to just give yourself permission to not be perfect as a parent because none of us are. And then just to be open and honest with your child too. Like, you know what? I'm really sorry. I was having a bad day. I should not have yelled like that, but I am feeling angry. What do you think would be a better way for me to deal with my anger? And just talk through it with them that way too so that you can model it when you're going through it and then help them when they're going through it.
0: Yeah, you're teaching the the process that they need to do on their own eventually. Right. So when the child does say, I had a bad day at school today, you go, I'm sorry you had a bad day at school today. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your bad day at school today. And like work through the, work through the process of um, of that.
3: Or if they come home angry, right. like yeah. ask it quiet instead of just saying, you know, don't be angry. Don't be angry or you know why you know, say, uh-huh. what well, happened at school today? what? Mm-hmm. You know what are you feeling?
4: But don't feel it. Don't make the situation, don't Mm -hmm. catastrophize the situation because I see parents doing that all the time. I had a bad day at school. What happened? I didn't get picked for, oh, my goodness, Mm -hmm. that is horrible, those horrible, horrible kids. Which one is it? And then that's not teaching them. (laughs) Go get them. And I I see that here sometimes. (laughs) I see that they didn't get the color they wanted for a jam craft. I mean, those are hurts, and those are real feelings kids have. Um, But if we can't help them walk through that they didn't get the pink paper um, at four, they're going to really struggle later on in life when they have health issues, their marriage ends, you know, they struggle in college, high school, they feel left out. I mean, those are just those things. Those are those baby steps as parents, too, that when they're younger, we have to help them walk through those hurts without fueling those hurts and without making that situation worse. And, I mean, we haven't talked a ton about it, but... Grace based parenting is biblical parenting. So look to the Bible, right? Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> so that's a guarantee. You're going to have problems from bullies at school to mom and dad not being perfect to all those other things. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world and you have to walk that through with them. I feel like in all those different stages, too. Jesus is there. This is hard. Don't worry. Jesus is there. I mean, he just kind of And his going overcoming
1: that. doesn't mean those problems are gone yes. and removed. Like the, hurt's the, still the there, problems are still going to be there, but yes. he's conquered them.
4: Yes. And I think that's important again just going back to those biblical talk about Jesus throughout the day and bring that back into there and that goes with forgiveness, that goes with all the other things that we kind of talked about today too. So and I wasn't specifically talking about any specific parent. <laughs> <laughs> I, just all of us lumped in because I've been that parent at times too. Yeah. So It's
2: important too, though, I, to, to notice. And we'll talk more about this in later in the episode. Um, but just as you give your kids permission, freedom to fail, be just as gracious to yourself and give yourself that same freedom to fail and permission. And um, when that comes, know how to understand and deal with that. Um, with your own failure and your own shortcomings because there is grace and forgiveness for you. And be transparent about that with
0: your kid. Like that is something that I've learned like recently. It's like when I didn't, didn't parent correctly, it's really, it's a really good idea for me to say like, I didn't do that right. I t- t- talk to my kids like, I don't think I did that right. And I'm sorry. I, I like, I'm still learning how to parent you. <laughs> like, you know, the joke is like you didn't come with, they didn't come with a manual at all. Um, And I think we just have to, like, recognize that for our children. Like, yeah, like, I'm, like, figuring out this relationship, this dynamic at the same time you are.
3: Right. And how you parent one child is not going to be how you're going to successfully be able to parent the next child. Um, So that's important, too, especially as the siblings maybe feel like things are unfair or different. I mean, they're all different personalities and people, and we treat different each person has strengths and weaknesses and things that as a parent you have to see and understand how they respond to different um different things too
1: well great conversation guys i mean lots of uh, i think we just scratched the surface but lots of lots of great points about maybe um kind of recognizing how we're parenting our kids how we can maybe uh, allow them a little more freedom to, to fail, that that doesn't reflect on us and that we can kind of follow follow Jesus' example, the, the Bible's example as we raise them. So thanks, guys. Um, I'm sure maybe this is something we'll, we'll bring up again in a future episode and explore in even more detail. But thanks for the conversation today. So coming out of a conversation about uh, letting our children fail, now maybe let's uh, turn the mirror around and talk about ourselves. Um, failure is something that all of us encounter at one point or another, um, and we're not just talking about like simple little things, but you know, kind of more in that realm of like moral, spiritual failure, um, sin, maybe we call that uh, in the in the discipleship world. Um, what do we do? What do we do when we fail? Um, our, our world maybe what like like pushes us to try to cover it up, try to explain it away. Uh, as a an everyday disciple, what what maybe is the first step we should take when when we recognize failure in our life?
0: Thinking about it, I think it's thinking about it, um, and thinking about it as like three steps of what led to my failure, the failure itself sort of naming and claiming that and then like what did what did I notice or what did I feel after it so sort of an objective look inward I think is um is helpful it's helpful for me
3: I would think for me it's almost the exact opposite because when I um when I fail I tend to obsess over it then in my brain and I run through it over and over and over again and the failure just makes it Seem so much bigger than in my brain, and I have a really hard time forgiving myself. Um, so I need to take a step back and give myself permission to um, forgive myself for whatever the failure is. So, um, so I guess for me, it would be stopping thinking about it would be my first step, and starting to acknowledge that I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect, and what are the steps that I need to take to rectify the. The fail if it was you know against someone else or something and go from there.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I I, I, I like that. I think, um, yeah, I probably do the same thing. So uh, when I when I say you know the the self assessment, I think that's what I'd like to do <laughs> <laughs> right. instead of ruminate. <laughs> yep, and constantly kick myself mm-hmm. for those things.
2: I think I'm I'm pretty similar to stuff where I do obsess over it and rather than do the self assessment of like how did i get here it's like the self assessment of how all the ways i am bad it's mm-hmm. so like i failed in yep. this because i fail in everything and like this 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 and it's like less of a self assessment and more of just like a self degradation mm-hmm. yeah like a, like yeah beating yourself up which
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in that same same boat of that classic overthinker of me too. I'm I'm, and and super perfectionist, so like want to be very very hard. I know you all just like (laughs) gave me a shock look when I said that
3: brand new information
1: that I just gave you all. But yeah, like just beating yourself up mm-hmm. over and over again. like I, I should be better than this. I shouldn't have made that kind of mistake. And mm-hmm. yeah.
4: And when you're an overthinker, you I mean, it sounds like everyone at this table is that and you just can't let it go and then you replay it over. People joke with me all the time, like, Oh, we were waiting for the text. We know it was coming, you know, oh. you thought about it, you rethought about it, you had to apologize, you had to apologize about it again, and then you still think about it. Um and that's just not a fun feeling when you, you dwell on something over and over again, too. So for me, though, the thinking I liked Adam's because is it a one time? But the older I get, I notice I have more of a pattern of failures. And so then you start to really, then you can really dwell on that. But then that's when you really want to start making some life changes, too, like, Oh if my failure is continually snarky comments when you think they're in your head and they came out of your mouth, you know how do you then change that um so it's just not failure over and over and over and over again
0: and 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 probably important to make a distinction in your mind between um uh your personhood and your performance so it's not um it's not necessarily my character that's the problem it's um uh, a deficiency in a, like performing my character well.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how you react, or then I try to look back at like how can I grow from that.
1: See, as a perfectionist, my my, my worth as a human being is in my not failing, and, and so when I do fail, it's like, oh man, like yeah, I'm I'm worthless. I'm I'm terrible because I made a mistake.
3: I think it is helpful for me to have um, just accountability partners, people I can talk to. Um, I know Lori's helpful for me because um, she just doesn't say, oh, no, that was fine, right? You don't need that person to tell you what you did was okay. You need the person to tell you, like, yep, nope, that probably wasn't the way to go. But that doesn't make you a bad person, right? And you do need that outside person to tell you what you just said, Adam, right? What you did wasn't great but that doesn't mean that you are not great. Um, and I think, you know, helping us remember that and that there is forgiveness. And I guess that's where my struggle is, is I know I can ask for forgiveness and Jesus forgives me, but I struggle forgiving myself, which really negates Jesus's forgiveness, right? And so then that's a whole new rabbit hole I go down of feeling like a failure because I can't even forgive myself well. So. But talking to other people...
0: Yeah. An objective person really helps you localize an issue instead of like what you were saying, Aiden, to like broaden it to be about like these huge deficiencies that um, that I perceive that maybe don't, other people don't like the classic we're our hardest critic our, our harshest critic.
4: Um, for me, as an overthinker, when I ask for somebody's apology. <laughs> Um, And because I feel so bad, I want their forgiveness like immediate, like Jesus's forgiveness. (laughs) And sometimes I have to be more patient and allow, say it's my husband, time for him to still be angry or still time knowing he will forgive me. But I think just as somebody who hurts deeply, I just want that like instant forgiveness. And sometimes I think it's important to remember that, you know, we can ask for forgiveness, but we have to allow people to kind of sit in that um, for a moment too. On the side and not always get defensive then (laughs) which would probably be one of my other downfalls too with with asking for forgiveness and then they say yes but you did this well that's because um so kind of um i guess learning from that too
0: Mm -hmm. and that what you're mentioning is like maybe the next part of the whole process is just taking radical ownership or radical responsibility of like when you do fail like like actually naming it and um and being pretty objective about it and um some would say even the next step is not even uh when it is somebody else's fault perhaps like underneath you is like you you still take the blame like you you own it because you know they were your volunteer or your employee or whatever like you really just and, and be pretty specific again it's really important to be specific like I know I'm a bad person and I'm sorry. It isn't, isn't quite like the helpful thing in a specific situation. It's like, I did this and this was the result. Um, and I'm sorry about the result. Um, and I'm sorry how that result affected you. And then, of course, like, here's my plan to not make that
2: happen again. I, I love, Adam, talking about the radical ownership of your failure. I think we we can be so bold as to say even sin Instead of just saying failure, like, because I think the failures we're all talking about are, you know, the moral, spiritual kinds of sins, things that do not reflect the goodness of God in action, word, or deed. Um, And I, I love David in the Bible where in the story of David and Bathsheba, as soon as David is confronted with his sin by Nathan, his, his first... His first like utterance of his of his words is, "I have sinned against God and against my fellow man," and David, being known as a man after God's own heart, shows why he is so quick to repent. And I really do find repentance to be such a core tenet of the Christian faith, and why what repentance does is it it allows us to just throw ourselves on the grace of God, and. While we don't want to abuse that grace and we don't want to use it as like a, a get out of jail free card. There is something so comforting and, and beautiful about the access we have to the creator, the creator of the universe who has taken our sins upon himself. Um, and it, it but it takes that acknowledgement, that ownership, like Adam was talking about, to truly find forgiveness and find comfort in knowing that yes this thing that you have done is a failure on your part and you have sinned against either yourself or against your fellow man or against God but there is grace and forgiveness as long as you are willing to ask for it um, and part of asking for it is <laughs> acknowledging the fact that you need it
1: and and right along with that asking for forgiveness from, from God or whoever it is that we've wronged um, how do we ask for forgiveness from ourselves? Because I've, I've heard that kind of around the table a little bit of, you know, the, we want to hold on to that hurt against ourselves or we want to focus on it or let that be, you know, kind of right in front of our eyes. How do we maybe begin to uh, forgive ourselves for something big? Especially, it's maybe easier to do it when it's a little thing, but when it's, you know, a big thing that, um, you know, maybe it's a sin that, now, there's like a lasting consequence or something. There's like a reminder of that moment of failure, whatever it was. Um, how do we how do we forgive ourselves?
4: For me, I think, for me personally, my prayer a lot is help me see my identity in you, Jesus. I mean, that's something we talk a lot with our kids about, um, you know, your identity is in Christ. So just like the good things, it's not like I'm a children's minister or a mom or you're a football player or all those kind of things, your identity is in Christ. And so that's when you do the bad things, too, you can you can dwell on that, but you're not your sin, You know, I'm a daughter of the King and I think um, we have to kind of, that's my prayer always, to just remind myself my identity is in Christ. It's not based on what other people think and it's not based on what I think of myself either. And that kind of comes back to, although I'm horrible at forgiving myself and I'm a huge dweller, you know, pray that your identity is found in him.
3: Yeah, I would say the same for me when I find myself dwelling on a, a topic or whatever it is that I'm um, upset with myself about I have to literally stop and just subconsciously remind myself, but Jesus, right? And then just stop and pray, like, okay, like, I need you to help me. Forgive me in this. I know you've forgiven me. Now I need you to help me. Um, and just, it's just a constant. I try and change a dialogue in my head, right? Instead of the dialogue in my head being bashing myself, the dialogue in my head is now focused on, um, just talking to god about how i feel and for him to help me um feel better
1: yeah so definitely important to remember you know that there's no sin too big that jesus can't forgive uh that's that's outside of his grace uh he's forgiven us we get to forgive ourselves too even though that might be a little more challenging of a process but yeah thanks for the wisdom shared around here i know i i needed to hear that i'm sure some of our listeners did too so thank you guys for sharing all that Thanks for listening to Everyday Disciples. Everyday Disciples is part of the online ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids. We're striving to be followers of Jesus wherever we are, and we hope you'll join us on that journey. If you found this podcast helpful in your spiritual journey, we'd be honored if you would rate us and review us wherever you listen. It helps people find us and get the good news about Jesus out there to the world. If you've got questions or suggestions for things that you'd like to hear about on Everyday Disciples, let us know with an email to media at stmatthewgr.com.